Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. In the NOCO is supported by Blue Federal Credit Union, with locations from Denver to Cheyenne, helping members tap into the power of community. More information at bluefcu.com. You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. I'm Jocelyn Mesa Miranda. Thanks for joining us. It's Friday, December 16th. New forecasts for the Colorado River paint a grim picture. Climate change and steady demand are shrinking the water supply for 40 million people. At the nation's largest dams, that means the ability to generate hydropower could soon be under threat. KUNC's Alex Hager introduces us to the Glen Canyon Dam, once a mighty piece of western infrastructure, now possibly unable to function. The year is 1963. It's the middle of the space race. America is expanding and building at a breakneck pace. In the Colorado River Basin, that means controlling the water. The story of winning the great American West has been essentially a story of its dams. This archival footage from the Bureau of Reclamation zooms in on northern Arizona, right near the Utah border. It's the Glen Canyon Dam, which, on completion, will be the second highest dam in the United States fourth largest concrete structure in the world, and one of the greatest construction projects of the 20th century. For decades, the dam has held up to its lofty reputation. It produces hydropower for about 5 million people in seven states. It holds back Lake Powell, a huge reservoir, which helps keep taps flowing in major cities hundreds of miles away. But now, dropping water levels are threatening all of that, and Bob Martin sees it up close. This is all original. So this is like pulling your your grandpa's 1964 Cadillac out of the garage, and it's in the same condition it was in 1964. Martin is standing in front of a giant electric turbine, which he manages for reclamation. It feels like the inside of a submarine, with hulking steel fittings and an imposing column of spinning metal. Drought and steady demand have shrunk Lake Powell to record lows, threatening the water supply that spins those turbines. Anybody in hydropower, you know, their whole career is based on reliability of these units. So to come into a power plant being quiet would be very, very disturbing for me. But that silence could become a reality. If water levels get a little lower, air bubbles would get into the turbines and cause serious damage. Some projections show water getting so low, it wouldn't be able to pass through the dam normally, instead relegated to little-used backup tubes near the bottom. Kyle Rohrink is director of the Great Basin Water Network. The architects of the dam never expected us to be at this precipice. The latest forecasts show water dropping to those backup pipes as soon as this summer. If that happens, it would mean the end of hydropower. To avoid that, federal officials may ratchet back the amount of water flowing downstream, which would leave much less water flowing through the Grand Canyon and down to cities like Los Angeles and Phoenix. All of these critical milestones have quickly gone from hypothetical to possible and even likely. Rohrink says decisions made over the next couple of years will be pivotal. How do we uh, rewrite the wrongs of the past 
And how do we ensure a stable future for our fellow Americans, uh, tribes, and folks in Mexico as well? The current river crisis, the one that's already forced cutbacks to some water allocations, Sarah Dant says it's a sign of something bigger. And I think it's also this very stark and obvious indication that we have so long not understood the power of aridity. Dant is a historian at Utah's Weber State University. She says nature is winning out in places where conditions are too dry to sustain life as we know it. Climate change is making dry places even drier. Even John Wesley Powell, the explorer for whom Lake Powell is named, warned that the West would never be as green as the East. But nobody wanted to pay attention to him because, you know, let's gung-ho, boom, boom, here we, here we go, let's settle. And we've been putting off this reckoning with aridity for a long time now. The consequences of that mindset are finally coming home to roost, and Glen Canyon Dam may be one of the first big casualties. At Glen Canyon, the drama of the Colorado River unfolds. An important and noble venture for all Americans. I'm Alex Hager. This story is part of ongoing coverage of the Colorado River, produced by KUNC and supported by the Walton Family Foundation. The holiday season is here. It's a festive time for many, with families getting together to celebrate. But the holidays can be especially hard for some. Many are mourning the loss of a loved one and dealing with profound grief. Joining me today are Heather Coates and Carrie Peterson, both nurse practitioners with the University of Colorado's College of Nursing. They have some insight into how we can manage grief and depression over the holidays. Welcome to you both, and thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. What are some of the causes for grief and depression during the holiday season? There can be many different causes for for grief, and grief is kind of an experience that people can have reactions to many different types of things. So traditionally, you would think of the loss of a loved one, but it can also be other things that people can grieve the loss of jobs, of divorce, of relationships. And the holidays can be a especially difficult time for, for people as they're reliving kind of what's going on with those losses. How does this affect someone? What are some of the ways in which grief and depression can present themselves? Grief is a normal process when we have losses, whatever that is. Recognizing that is probably the first step, that you have that loss, and then understanding how much that grief which is kind of this, you know, process that people go through when they have a loss is affecting your ability to live daily. And if it is affecting those things to, you know, get up and be interactive with others or go to a work or eat, drink, sleep, I mean, all the things that we need to, to stay healthy, then that's when those may be hints that perhaps you may need to reach out and ask for um, what we would call psychological assistance and help and, and realizing that that's really a strength if you reach out. It's not something that you should consider a weakness. What are the risks of someone struggling without any support over the holidays? 
we know that actually connecting with others and getting support from others is going to be something that's helpful. Um, so if you have a, a family member, a friend who's struggling with grief, the most important thing you can do is ask them, you know, how you can be supportive of them, reach out to them. And um, we worry about folks who really isolate and don't have those connections and that can actually magnify some of the the symptoms that they're experiencing with the grief and um, the depression. What are some healthy ways to manage grief and depression? Reaching out and saying, what can I do to help? And I don't think that means, you know, can I be your counselor or can I be your healthcare professional who's helping you process through that grief? But little things, we talk about grief in a process. If the loss is recent, that's what we might call acute grief versus holidays can sometimes bring up losses that from years ago, more than 10, 15, 20 years ago. So in those acute grief spaces, if that is part of where you are, where the person is at, doing things like running errands, giving that person time away from caring for parents or caring for children, really coming in and being what I would call more physically supportive for the things that that person needs to be doing so they can spend time maybe going to see their mental health counselor. If we're parent caring or child caring, sometimes it's hard to find the, the schedule to, to give that time to ourselves. Um, and so I think that's what we can do as a community to help people understand one that it's okay to have grief, it's normal. And two, ask the things that we can do for them and not try to be that mental health counselor. When should people seek treatment? What kinds of treatments are available? Yeah, so for certain people, we have a diagnosis called complex grief, where the person, once they are going through the normal grieving process, it really becomes prolonged, um, the prolonged grieving process if it's lasting even more than a year. So all throughout the grieving process, there's different types of treatment and support. I really definitely recommend grief support groups, but there's also, if, if people are really struggling with depression and other symptoms that become problematic and actually impact their functioning, definitely there's treatments to seek out health, your healthcare provider or mental health professional to help with those symptoms that the person is struggling with and be able to recommend different treatments. There's different psychotherapies, there's refocused therapies, um, and in some cases, medication. Grief is a normal process. We all experience losses in our lives and realizing that when a grief or a loss or what Carrie was alluding to prolonged grief disorder might be affecting your daily ability to, to live fully. That's when just as a diabetic who might need treatment to treat their diabetes reaches out and asks for help. It's the same capacity, whether it's a physical illness or a mental illness that we look at and say, reach out, find support, work through that grief and loss. And I think that's the connection to the holidays is just understanding that the holidays bring up memories, which can be positive memories to remember someone or do something that is in memory of someone, a person that you've lost or that has died. And those can be positive things to have that memory because that person was a part of your life.
And sometimes families, for example, if we've lost a person or a person has died, maybe there's many of us that are having grief or being sad because this person isn't around anymore. So having some type of memorial can really help the whole family unit. So I think my thing is don't shy away from the grief and the sadness, recognize it, understand if it's a fleeting today, I'm sad, but then I'm okay. And I can do the things I normally do. And it's not affecting me to the level of affecting my daily functioning, then it's okay. That was CU College of Nursing's physicians, Heather Coates and Carrie Peterson. Thank you both for being here today. Thank you. If you or anyone you know is having a hard time during the holidays, you can connect with resources listed on our website, kunc.org. That's all for today on Colorado Edition. Thanks for listening. The Colorado Edition podcast is posted every Friday. Just hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If there's a story you'd like to hear, send us an email at coloradoedition at kunc.org. Our theme music is composed by Colorado musicians Brianna Harris and Johnny Burroughs. Other music in the show by Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Jocelyn Mesa Miranda.